support for WERU comes from the Abbey Museum, Maine's first Smithsonian affiliate, founded in 1928 at Sir de Mon Spring in Acadia National Park, and open year-round in downtown Bar Harbor with two locations and one mission to inspire new learning about the Wabanaki nations with every visit. More information at abbeymuseum.org. The time's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Wabanaki Windows with your host Donna Loring is up next. Welcome to Webinaki Windows. I'm your host, Donna Loring. Webinaki Windows is a monthly show featuring Webinaki perspectives, topics, and opinions, as well as interviews with Native artists, writers, and people of interest. Today we'll be talking about the forever and continuing issue of mascots. My guests are Ambassador for the Penobscot Nation, Molly and Dana, Dr. Darren Ranko, uh, member of the Penobscot Nation and director of the Wabanaki Center, as well as associate professor of the uh, anthropology and uh, <coughs> Native American uh, uh, research at the University of Maine. And James Francis, director of cultural history, uh, the center at Penobscot Nation. So many of you guys, I get you all mixed up. <laughs> okay, um, so let's start talking about the mascot issue. Uh, and there are people who say, what's so important about the mascot issue? Uh, it's, uh, it, what does it mean and why is it, why is it such a big controversial issue? Darren? Uh, thank you, Donna, and good morning. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of us, it, it, it represents you know, a larger set of issues uh, around how we're represented as Native people. Um, broad, more broadly in society, and the um, the harm that these kinds of images create has been a really important um, uh, set of understandings for us, and how that has impacted and changed the way that people like Molly and, and yourself have have really um, mobilized against uh, mascots. So in in the mascot issue is not new, right? Uh, we, we, you know, the movements um, in recognition in the 1970s that a number of Native people launched around it um, was really about talking back to the mascot, you know, and saying, you know, this isn't honoring us. It's not accurate portrayals. It's not, um, it doesn't feel right. You know, it's a really important uh, misrepresentation of who we are as people. And, you know, the movements are really uh, interested in, you know, saying this is not an honor to us uh, for a long time. Starting in the 1990s, we had um, a number of psychological studies uh, being done that looked at the actual, what, what the representations of these mascots actually did, in particular to our children, our Native children. And because of those studies and the harm that was uh, identified through 
through these uh, psychological studies, um, the movement changed um, fairly dramatically, and I think for the better, where uh, in 2004, the NCAA came out against uh, mascots uh, and, uh, and the sports teams uh, at the college level. And in 2005, the American Psychological Association issued a series of very strong sort of um, anti-mascot, like identifying through this research, you know, that mascots actually create harm and harmful situations for, uh, in particular, Native children uh, it, who have to deal with them in their schools. And I think since then, um, you know, people have responded by and large uh, differently. It wasn't the kind of issue of, like, it hurts my feelings, this doesn't honor us, versus, you know, my feelings are, uh, I love this mascot uh, because I played for this team. It really changed the discussion in the early 2000s to you are harming us and um, uh, your continued use of these images and these mascots really create this harm. And I think that's um, where, wh why we've made you know, really significant strides. I mean, and, and Molly and, and others can speak to this, but you know the the strides have really been made because things that we already felt, which is that these representations were harmful to us um, in our communities and our cultures, that the harm was uh, actually proven through a, a great number of studies around uh, Native children, how they see themselves, how they uh, see their futures, how they see their communities. And I think um, uh, this is why it's really, it can be very shocking uh, when people resist that, you know, when, when, when we face people who are not willing to hear, you know, it's sort of like when you talk to someone like, you know, smoking is harmful. You wouldn't want, you know, children in school to be surrounded by a bunch of smoke. They'll be like, well, of course not. But they're okay with them being surrounded by harmful images about who they are and um, their culture. So, I, so I'm always shocked at the, you know, the kind of resistance given what we know. You know that kind of thing, Molly. Comments? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we're the only group where uh, people have no problem taking our religious and sacred symbols and using them in this way, and really stealing them and, and making them cheap and throwing them on a jersey to win a game. Uh, my spark to be um, active in this movement happened when I was a teenager, and I saw these mascots in use in area high schools where they had the feathers and the drums and even some depictions of our native dress. And they were using them in these games in a very disrespectful way. So here I am at a very uh, formative time of my life anyway, seeing these symbols that I've been taught to really respect and honor, um, you know, demeaned and degraded. It, it's very jarring for a young person. And uh, over the years, I went from being a peer educator to other high schoolers into a more um, activist and educator role on the issue. And I think one of the problems here is that people want to take on the good things about being Native, you know, the pride and the courage and the, um, you know, the strong faces and the feathers and, and all this romanticized stuff, but they're not seeing the whole picture of what it is to be an indigenous person in America and, and Canada and to deal with the, um, the generations of oppression and the you know, high rates of 
suicide, depression, alcoholism, drug abuse uh, that stem from people trampling all over us figuratively and literally. (laughs) And uh, by using these mascots, they're embracing some of what it is um, to be a part of us, but not seeing the bigger picture. And they're um, dragging us along for the ride, I think. James? Well, my my story really starts in 2005 when I was asked to represent the Penobscot Nation at uh, Old Town High School uh, when the Old Town High School School Board um, asked the tribe, um, they wanted to embrace the mascot or get rid of it. So they asked the tribe for help to embrace that mascot or um, upon the tribe's wishes they would do away with the mascot. And so um, at that council meeting, uh, Elder got up and he said, you know, they they say they're honoring us. But I didn't feel honored as a student walking through those halls. I felt discriminated against. I felt like they felt I didn't have a future. I was neglected. And all they cared about was that image of an Indian with a headdress on. And that... um, is not honoring. And so after the school board had met and voted unanimously to change the mascot, um, you know, there was a, a bunch of news people who came upon me and I said that, uh, you know, they've been saying for years they were honoring us with this mascot, but for the first time, Old Town High School honored us by removing it. And I think that was a really important step for the state of Maine, that here you have this high school called the Indians, which is two miles from the reservation, if that. Um, you know, st- taking, a, taking the lead and doing the right thing, you know. And it, and it was on them. They are the ones who started that ball rolling. <coughs> yeah, I think uh, these images that the, we've been used as for sports teams or whatever, uh, is been proven to be dehumanizing. And I guess what other what other race of people have to contend with that, and have to argue their humanity? You know, I mean, I mean, we we have to say, hey, we're human beings. Don't represent us like that. It is shocking in that, you know, we we always return to that in, in our nation's capital, there's a football team that uses an obviously racial slur um, as its mascot in re- reference to us as indigenous people. And it's that's such a hard one. You know, it's sort of the, you know, our nation's capital. Like, wh- how is that representing us? How, what does that mean? And I think... Ultimately, that just sends the wrong signal, right? I mean, um, the fact that um, it's been so difficult in, um, in, in encountering that one, I think, makes a lot of the other ones more difficult. It, it buoys, you know, people to be like, well, obviously, the Washington, D.C. team, they're allowed to use this imagery and they're allowed to do this. I think it... It, it definitely makes the kind of work that Molly in, in particular has been engaged in harder. I mean, it just, there's no doubt about the, the symbolic nature of our nation's capital and, um, you know, professional football team using a, a really obvious racial slur. 
And uh, talking about the NFL, we have um, this movement with kneeling during the national anthem started by Colin Kaepernick, which I think is a good thing. And I'm impressed with the impact it's had. But if we're all going to talk about racism in the NFL, how do we ignore the elephant in the room that that team in Washington is called that? So it's been interesting. Yeah. Um, The uh, U.S. Commission on Civil Rights weighed in on this issue in uh, 2001. Mm -hmm. Uh, they they gave they they gave a long statement, but I'm just going to read a couple sentences from it. They say that it is particularly disturbing that Native American references are still to be found in educational institutions, whether elementary, secondary, or post-secondary. The use of stereotypical images of Native Americans by educational institutions has the potential to create a racially hostile educational environment that may be intimidating to Indian students. American Indians have the lowest high school graduation rates in the nation and even lower college attendance and graduation rates. The perpetuation of harmful stereotypes may exasperate these problems. Darren, yeah, no, and, and and that report in two thousand one, you know that that's you know part of the pivot from those that research in the nineties to um, the you know the NCAA and then the uh, American Psychological Association statements in two thousand four and two thousand five, and it's just the um, you know there's something about inertia or or people are used to it and. Um, you know, they do survey, you know, so there's, you know, what I'm just trying to think of the arguments that like, oh, not, mascots aren't that bad. Um, they'll do surveys of people, you know, like uh, people who self-identify as Native American in Pennsylvania where they have no um, uh, fairly recognized tribes or no real, you know, tribal communities there um, and say like, well, you know, so many natives find it okay. And, you know, I think, you know, that's in the research, the idea that someone is okay with it actually means that they're, they're going to be harmed by it. You know, that Mm -hmm. there's actually some of the newer research is really interesting is that people who are offended by them, or, you know, even even children who are in a home that, that where they're being taught, like, these are not accurate, this is not who you are, this is not who we are. They're actually insulated a little bit from the harm, but it's, it's actually the children who are like, yeah, that's who we are, that's what my pride is, that's what my culture is. They're the ones that are most harmed by the... Um, these, this imagery and these mascots in, in the context of their school environment. So it's, it is also this interesting thing that, you know, we don't survey people to be like, you know, any other public health uh, situation in school. We don't survey, you know, the kids to be like, hey, do you want to allow smoking pot in school? And then the kids are all like, yeah, let's do that. You know, like we don't, we don't do that in a public health context. And that's what I understand this to be is that, it's children in a school environment um, being exposed to something that is harming them. It's just it, it it's just so hard for me to get over that like basic element of it. And then you have you know politicians or this you know the the, the state school you know they're like oh it's just up to that community to decide. We don't allow them to decide whether they're smoking on school grounds. We don't allow every community to do that. Uh, so I'm just it's. 
my frustration around that is that it's so anti um against facts it's against what we know it's against what we feel and you know it's it's in addition to us not being heard and saying that this is not who we are this is not represent or honor us people will say oh well you know yeah. just deal with it or, yeah i mean but the other thing too is you know you in schools whatever you have this image and it's usually a, a, a native image and a chief in a headdress and some kind of warrior from the 17, 1800s or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then this image is perpetual. It's every day. And it, not just the native students see this, but yeah. everybody does. And it sort of keeps us in that century. Yeah. People don't see us and understand us as human beings and that we're here currently. That's right. Yeah, so one of the... Uh, the the clearest um, psych- psychological harms has been documented is this thing called possible selves. So um, it's precisely what you're speaking to. The the idea that it harms a child's possible self is that it um, harms uh, the sense that whatever they can be in life, you know, it has multiple possibilities. Um, and so when you prime, especially you know, when you prime native children with the images around. Uh, mascots, their ability to see themselves in in multiple ways in a future that where they have a future of achievement and they have a future of um, multiple possibilities, that all decreases. I mean, not only do, are there studies around self-esteem and community self-worth, but the idea that the child themselves sees limited op- opportunities after they r- see these mascots speaks to that perpetual nature and that fixing of who we are. So it's, and it's context driven. I mean, obviously, I mean, you can think about this, but you know, some of the other elements of, of um, the harm created by stereotypes expressed in mascots has to do is that as native people, we have so few representations in popular media. Like we're, we're just not represented. So we don't have the native doctor on that show, or we don't have the native detective. We did have a native detective on SVU for a couple of years. Um, but we don't have, you know, there's just, we have so few. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the only image through media that, so that's where in the studies you can see that the harm is greater when there, are, there aren't other images and other um, media representations to counter that one, which is fixed and and sort of odd and used by non-native people in ways that would ne- we would never use, that kind of thing. So I think that that context is a really important part. When, when people look at the harm, it's really about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, you're listening to WERU, Wabanaki Windows. I'm your host, Donna Loring, and we're talking with Ambassador Molly and Dana, the Penobscot Nation, Dr. Darren Ranko, uh, an Associate Professor of Anthropology, and James Francis, Director of Penobscot Nation, and our issue is the mascot issue. Um, so, James, haven't picked on you lately. <laughs> well, you know, for me, I think it's, uh, you know, really important to to highlight the, fa- the fact that this is not an uh, Indian, non-Indian issue. Um, you know, I had the really unfortunate um, situation of graduating with my older brother. I spent <laughs> high school with uh, my brother who was two years older. And um, 
he was a very successful athlete at Old Town and football player and basketball and hockey and really embraced um, kind of school spirit. And, you know, he, you know, is always asking me, well, why did you do that? You know, and he puts it on me because I was the face of the tribe when all this went down, um, you know, that he didn't have a problem with it, you know. And um, so, you know, just right within my family, it's, there's, you know, it's not a, to me, it's not an Indian, non-Indian issue. What it is, it's a human rights issue. You know that this really boils down to uh, there are there are people who find this extremely offensive, and you know the the reds, Redskins term is the most offensive. You know it harkens back to the days when you know we had trade here with you know fur trades, and you could you could go to the the truck houses they were called, and you could bring in your beaver skins and your deer skins, you know, for money. But you also could bring in your red skins. You know, there were scalp proclamations here, you know, in, in Maine, um, in what we call Maine today. And, you know, there's the 1755 scalp proclamation that offered, you know, 50 pounds for a scalp. And those, at, those are what were called red skins those along with the beaver skins and you know i did the math and in today's money 1755 50 pounds was almost twelve thousand dollars for people to go out and basically hunt penobscot people um so to have the nation's capital using you know this as their name is um a huge slap in the face, especially when you have groups from all over this country um, saying that that's not okay. Well, yeah. Um, in regards to that, where there were teams in Maine using uh, the Redskins term for their mascot too, and I remember um, going into Scarborough in high school, you know, being 16, 17 years old, and going into a gym full of kids my age all wearing their Redskins jerseys, uh, and they booed me when I walked in. And I just remember thinking, you know, these are probably kids. We probably have a lot of things in common. You know, we're worried about homework and class and sports and stuff. But how sad it is um, that we're in this situation together. And uh, they ended up changing it. And that day, after I kind of shook off <laughs> the terror, <laughs> you know, you just want to be accepted at that age. And it, it's, uh, it's hard. Uh, I remember talking about uh, my first awakenings around mascots and, you know, I, I was taught to respect things. And then with that word, it, it's such a slur that you have this layer of really ugliness. You know, James did a good job of talking about just how barbaric and vicious that term is um, and the, the legacy of the trauma that our people have been through and that we're and that we're still going through it when we hear that word. So the fact that we've been able to remove that word from Maine athletics is pretty great. Um, and I and I think we're getting closer to ridding the state of these things entirely. And it's interesting we talked about the scout proclamation and hunting Indians in Maine. Uh, the last school in Maine to use the word Indian for their mascot is Skowhegan. And their businesses, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but their Chamber of Commerce last year um, to promote their businesses in December, the Christmas shopping season, they had a promotion called Hunt the Indian. 
And what it was was taking a caricature of the big statue in town um, that ties into the high school mascot and hiding it in local businesses, and people would have to come try to find it. So in their head, this was an innocent thing. You know, if, if their mascot was a coyote or a bear, it would have been hunt the, you know, insert animal name here. But instead, it was hunt the Indian. And... And they saw nothing wrong with it until there was an outcry and they ended up apologizing and changing it. Um, and, and it's actually been a positive situation because now they're taking on this huge community education platform to try to make people understand why that might be problematic and why that would make Skowhegan not a welcoming place for all races. Um, but it, it very much is relevant to the things that James just spoke about. You know, we, we were actually hunted on those lands and it's not us being silly or easily offended it's it's very much tied into that historical trauma yeah i think um i'm actually i admire those of you who i've done very little of the community-based work that molly and and you donna in some ways james has done that um you know in addressing the this level of ignorance. I mean, I think the it's very frustrating that in 2017 the hunt the Indian does not um, by by people running <laughs> the businesses in a town in Maine um, does not raise anything. Mm-hmm. Has no cognitive connection to anything uh, for them shows the depth of um, what we're up against in terms of our uh, challenge to connect as human beings to other human beings. Um, And I guess, you know, and and maybe you all could talk about that. I've heard Molly (laughs) talk about that. Like, I... You know, I think for me, I uh, I'm all academic-y and nerdy, and I'll be like, "Well, the facts are this," but we all know in these political times that that's actually not how you get anyone to change anything. Just <laughs> they'll double down on their bad facts and mm-hmm. call you an elitist or whatever. Um, so I, I think that you know, you know, so I think that struggle to educate, um, I think it's a very real one. And I guess I don't, if, if those of you who've done that work could talk more about it, because I, I, I think that's like, that's ultimately the God's work element of it is mm-hmm. to go in and face someone as a human being and um, where they, uh, maybe through their own, I guess through their own ignorance, I, I suppose you have to not see them with bad intent to actually engage them, but really don't see you or your people as human how do you change that? How do you transform that? Yeah. Um, Andrew Tomer and Jordan, I think his last name is LaBeouf, I don't know how you mm-hmm. pronounce that. Yeah. They wrote an article, which I thought was very, very good. It's very good. And I uh, happened to have it in front of me. And uh, it was, it's July 20th, 2016. It was like the day before this Chamber of Commerce uh, mess in Skowhegan. And uh, the opening of this is like, uh, no one would deny that our education system is responsible for protecting environments that promote learning and development for all students. Yet, 
this noble goal is diminished for all students by the perpetual perpetuation of cultural symbols that demean the Native American identity. Uh, and I guess there was a vote uh, in Skowhegan uh, on this. And, uh, and, he's, and they say in the article, against formal opposition from tribal leaders and citizens from across the state, SAD 54 board voted 11 to 9 to maintain the mascot last year. Similarly, the main, the, this is important, I think, the Maine State Board of Education ignored tribal and citizen appeals by refusing to consider a statewide ban on such mascots. As a result, Maine's chapter of Not Your Mascot, uh, a grassroots group addressing the misappropriation of indigenous identity and culture presented a 1,000 signature petition to the Skowhegan Area School Board asking again that the mascot be changed. Molly? Yeah, <laughs> I was there. <laughs> I know, and, and, and you started this grassroots organization? Uh, I am a founding member, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the Skowhegan case has been going on since like 2001. The American Indian Movement then at the national level kind of looked at the mascots around the country that were on their worst behavior, I guess. And they um, signaled Skowhegan as one of the uh, offenders. So Skowhegan did a community survey, found out what people thought. Uh, big shocker, not a lot of people were offended by it, but it caused enough of a stir that they removed a lot of their imagery um, and some of their bad practices, you know, the coming out and chanting at games and everything. So fast forward um, through a bunch of years, and we were able to create a panel of Wabanaki people from all over the state. Uh, Darren was on the panel, uh, and it really represented all four tribes, different age groups, different genders, different perspectives on the issue. And we had a what I thought was a good meeting with their policy arm of the school board. And, and after that, things kind of shut down a little bit. Um, they set up a public forum, but made it so that only residents of the town could speak. Um, so they kind of, you know, existed in this real echo chamber of people that wanted to keep the mascot. They, they did have a lot of local residents that are in favor of changing it. And they've been doing this behind the scenes work and they're still at it, which is great. So they voted very, um, a very slim vote to keep the mascot. And after that, they kind of rushed to stack their school board with people that were for keeping the mascot. So they've, it's, it's been a lot of politics in the years since this has happened. Um, and then the Chamber of Commerce thing, I, I think I told you, Darren, I said, this is like a Christmas present. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, like, you can't say this is good in any way. Yeah. You can't say that we're interpreting this wrong. It says hunt the Indian. So it kind of served, it, it was awful and gut-wrenching, but it served as a good um, way to reopen this chapter. So they invited me to a meeting uh, not long after that. And they said, you know, we'll have you in this meeting, but we don't want to talk about the mascot. And I said, look, a, a board of like 12 or so people sat around, and all of you thought Hunt the Indian sounded okay. I said, why do you think that is? It's because you have this mascot in this town, and you've all dug your heels in and clung to it, and you really 
feel like you're entitled to this identity that isn't yours. So there's layers of, of human psychology and, and all this stuff going on here. I said, so we're going to have to talk about it at some point. So over this past summer, they launched this big community education um, initiative, and they've kept me in the loop on things. And, and I am hopeful going forward. And, and I am involved in, in some things I can't quite talk about yet, some kind of local media documentary type projects that I think will really shine a light on a lot of the process. And um, like I like I said before, social change is really a marathon, not a sprint. And I think that eventually Skowhegan will be on the right side of history. James? Well, I just want to just um, just take a, take a moment to um, acknowledge those schools that have mm-hmm. taken the proper steps. Um, you know, I mentioned Old Town. They're the ones who initiated that. Um, just recently uh, with uh, Nokomis coming out to uh, do away with the Native American imagery that goes around, um, you know, their warrior uh, mascot, um, you know, Sanford, mm-hmm. Wells, um, have all stepped up to the plate. And, you know, Molly and said, you know, dig their heels in. And, and I, I think that's uh, exactly, you know, um, what Skowhegan's doing is they are trying to make a name for themselves by, um, you know, digging their heels in, and um, which is really unfortunate because, um, you know, it's just dishonoring to, to cultures, um, to our culture to Native people in general, Native people in Maine, Indigenous people around the world. Right. So thank you, schools, who have done the proper thing. Absolutely. we still got one more school, mm-hmm. at least one more. I don't know if we got a couple more, but we do. Yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, the, <laughs> the Skowhegan thing is always interesting. You know, what I've always, uh, in going down there a few times and... Uh, hearing their defense of it, um, which, by the way, uh, you know, sometimes even, you know, in the Skowhegan context where you've done away with, uh, you know, a fair amount of the imagery, um, what we see repeatedly is then other schools using that. You know, it's a, I mean, I used to say things like, well, maybe you're honoring it through this image, but then when you face another school that's like, says, you know, scout the Indian, you know, like that they come in with their banners, like you don't have control over that. You are putting something out there which immediately begs for, you know, the 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 well-worn racist attacks, right? So it's like, you're not doing them, but then you're opposing school. You're like, I mean... Sometimes that convinces someone of something. I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, I guess that's where I've, my pessimism is around um, with Skowhegan having that um, large statue there. Um, the people in Skowhegan, not all everyone, but a number of people there who identify, you know, they're being like, they walk by that statue. You know, like Indian and Skowhegan, like they are, Something is being tied together, you know, I think that is sincere for them. It's absolutely sincere. Uh, I think um, I think it has become also wrapped up in a politics of anti-PC, of anti-whatever, um, which is 
fine. That's a great, <laughs> what an excellent political statement to have. <laughs> um, but that, uh, uh, the, the language that, that is sometimes used in Skowhegan is um, befuddling uh, or um, confusing to me as an indigenous person because they talk about themselves as I am a third generation Skowhegan Indian mm-hmm. or I am a my grandfather was a you know like almost in genetic terms mm-hmm. almost in terms of kinship that we use to identify one another as native people mm-hmm. they have they use a similar language around it which I find it's just so befuddling and and it makes it harder to reach across the elements that like no you are not an indigenous person but wherein the mascot has actually filled in the role of the culture of ancestry of you know thousands of years of connection to the land and uh, our you know through our culture and through our ways you know so that's where i get um really stuck on trying to reach someone like how do you say like no your grandfather wasn't an, a real indian mm-hmm. <laughs> they just had a mascot you know like yeah. how do you begin that discussion yeah. because again that politics of like well you don't know anything about me or my my indian my skohegan indianness right. or something i think that's a real challenge there i mean i'm hoping that some somewhere somehow that you know that will change, but I, I, I don't have an, uh, a particularly good insight into it. Because yeah. I think when you encounter, you know, our politics right now in particular mm-hmm. is so, like, I'm not about to be told how to speak or how to say, you know, like, that mainstream v- views that are, uh, that are seemingly under threat, people uh, feel very good about saying no, you know, like, mm-hmm. absolutely will not take into account your culture, your feelings, your your ways um, in the way I respond to you. So um, I find it to be a challenge. I, I agree with you. I think things happen, uh, the arc of history, as they say, right, <laughs> then towards justice. Um, I just find that that one is because of that uh, statue and the commitment of m- uh, almost like a multi-generational like I'm an Indian mm-hmm. but like a Skowhegan Indian whatever that means like yeah mm-hmm. it's very uh, challenging oh yeah I had a guy come up to me after one of the meeting you know big like six foot something guy with a sh- shaved head and he put his finger on my face and he said I am just as Indian as you are and Skowhegan is my tribe And that's when I thought, wow, like we got a lot of stuff going on here, you know, and then they had a big rally at that statue um, on we were having an Indigenous (laughs) Peoples Day event. So they called their event uh, Columbus Day Rally for Indian Pride. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, it's it's layers of stuff up there for sure. Wow. Mm -hmm. Talk about alt history and alt truth. I mean, (sighs) wow. I like that. but I do want to go back to the hunt the Indian, the Chamber of Commerce thing, mm-hmm. where uh, they actually, the Chamber of Commerce actually recognized what a horrible mm. mistake they made. Mm-hmm. So my thought is it's not hopeless, mm-hmm. you know, they, sure. because they did say uh, never were we so wrong in thinking that this latest promotion 
involving the Chambers Skowhegan Indian statute would be a good idea. This event has been canceled. So, you know, I mm-hmm. think it's why we have to keep on defending and presenting us as human beings, our people as human beings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're the only we're the only race that's ever had to do that. We continue to do that. It has to be come from empathy, right? Isn't that the, the challenge? I mean, yeah. I think some of the programs that you've helped organize and, and that I'm aware of are things like student exchanges, right, with kids from the tribal schools mm-hmm. and kids at Skowhee. Yeah. I, I feel like we've done that yeah. or that's been organized. Was that organized in Wells or... Or I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Th- there have been these. We had the youth council go speak Youth council. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- but but of course, often I find that you know, and and Skowhegan's a great example. You can talk about one of their first organizers mm-hmm. to protect the mascot had a really profound change of heart. That, of course, it's these situations, it's ten- generally not the kids in the school. Mm-hmm. You know, they they are actually open to an empathetic, like, working change with younger people as opposed to older people, mm-hmm. right? They're uh, very willing to see another, like you were when you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like, I probably share a lot with this right. other 16-year-old. You know, I struggle with the same kinds of things around social stuff or high school or, or school or any of that. Um, and I think that... That's probably the best bet, and that's probably where the arc will bend towards, you know, that the younger generation where these exchanges have happened, you know, not this school board or probably the next school board's Mm -hmm. going, but the school board after that might be more representative of the the young people who don't see this as an attack on their ability to speak or, Mm -hmm. or say who they are, but see it actually as a way to connect, as a way to understand. Um, is and and that's I think the challenge of that work. Yeah, right? and I, I think kids are very reward uh, centered. <laughs> you know, yeah. my kids are nine and eleven, so uh, you know they trashed the living room the other day. You know, I was like, you know, getting ready for the day or whatever, and, they, and I said, we're not going anywhere until it's clean. And they both point the fingers at each other. Oh, she did it. No, she did it. And they had this big fight. I said, well, we're not leaving this house until this is picked up. So they work together and they pick it up. You know, so I think. Um, Old Town was a really good example because they let the kids pick the new mascot, or the students, I should say, instead of kids. Um, and when you put it to students and say, you can have a whole new team that you can really get excited about that isn't going to offend anybody. You can actually show up and cheer and not worry about controversy around your school or things getting in the way of your games. I think that's enticing to students. And I think we saw that to, to a certain measure with Wells. Um, they involved... They have, I think, two or three seats on their school committee for students. And um, we did have the youth council Mm -hmm. from the tribe go down and talk. And I think that exchange was really helpful. So you think that uh, we've made progress, right, since you started this educational, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Uh, Do you foresee Skowhegan changing? I absolutely do. Yeah, I th- I think um, just in time, it's it's the way things are flowing, and I'm not going away. James, 
Mullion's not going away. Nope. Um, <laughs> That's right. I hate to be on the other end of that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's, it's um, you know, the time has come. I think that there's a, there's a lot of pressure. And, and like I said, it's, it's not just pressure from coming from the Native communities, but it's uh, other groups that are banding together and saying, you know, um, you know, it's time. And it's certainly that. It is time. You know, I've often wondered why the Maine State Board of Education doesn't really weigh in on this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in the legislature, I had people come up to me and say, well, you should put a bill in to address this. And my response was, no. Because if, you, if we mandate this through law, then it, there's going to be a big backlash. And we really need to do the uh, educational perspective talk to people and which is what you guys have been doing and i it's been taking a while but it's it's working and i think with the board of education what might be key is to keep the pressure up and to emphasize that even if you don't have a lot of native students at these schools they're traveling the states playing teams with other native students and that's definitely um impacting um the native population of maine who are underneath the board of education so they're you know they should be held responsible Right, and I mean the Wells thing kind of comes out of that, right? right? With yeah. the the game, right? It was between Wells and Lisbon, and is that was it Lisbon? It was Lisbon. Yeah, yeah. there was um, a, a student on the team who was Micmac, and he, him, and his mother saw the the displays right. with the drums and the feathers and everything, and and that's what started this whole movement. You know, I yeah. had no idea stuff was going on like that in Wells, you know, and then I got involved um, through the connection down there, but. Yeah, it was really driven by yeah. that family in Lisbon. The problem that I see with that that situation and that event was when, um, what's the mother's name? Amelia. Amelia. When Amelia came forward and uh, brought this to the superintendent's attention, uh, he said, well, I'll, I'll investigate. And he did investigate. Mm-hmm. And he came back and he said, I don't see anything wrong, wrong, anything that happened that, you know, I, I just think it's just sportsmanship or whatever, just people mm-hmm. uh, playing their games or whatever, and there's nothing to worry about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think Amelia left it at that, right? Right. She, um, she threatened to go to the Maine Human Rights Commission, and she did. She pursued that. Uh, she looked into it. And her and I got in contact, and I wrote an op-ed um, that ran in the Portland Press-Herald about it. And pretty soon after that, the superintendent reached out to me. Do you remember what you said in your op-ed? I said a lot. <laughs> 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 you know, I, I talked about, you know, a lot of the points we make here today about how stereotypes are harmful. And um, like you said, the, in, the investigation was quick and... Um, you know, we really need to give this the time and attention it deserves, and, and it is harmful to, to Native children and all children. That's part of that yeah, APA sure. study from 2005 is that it really impacts children of all races mm-hmm. when we have these in play. And I think that uh, you you watched the news. I think you happened to see the that being covered on the news, and the, uh, you saw some of the people in the stands mm-hmm. and uh, – what was your observation of that? Oh, you definitely saw um, the fake headdresses. I mean, it, they probably cut to the crowd for a good three or four seconds, and you can see 
people wearing the headdresses and the fake feathers and stuff. It's definitely there. And I think that was part of their investigation. They looked at the news footage and said that they didn't see anything. But And I guess that uh, they were also using uh, five-gallon pails to bang right, on. as drums. And yeah. uh, <laughs> they, were, they didn't uh, admit that either. They mm. just said they were making a lot of noise. They yeah. really didn't, didn't mean to emulate uh, native drums. Uh, but they did come around, I have to say, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it was, it was a huge effort. Um, we set up another panel-type thing like we did in Skowhegan and went down and talked to um, their school committee, and then they had a, a larger public forum and then uh, eventually put it to a vote, and they voted to take away the imagery. Right. So what's your... What's your plan as far as you're still working with uh, changing the the images and educating on the mascot issue? Mm-hmm. So, what else are you doing? Doing something you said with uh, Skowhegan and there are other are there other other schools? Yeah, it's neat now because I get to fold it into the ambassador work a little bit. Um, before it was kind of, um, I don't want to call it a hobby, but it's just kind of something I've been pursuing um, through a lot of years, this kind of community outreach and education. So now I can um, fold it in and give it, I guess it, it's a little bit more legitimate. I'm just not some woman showing up to yell at everybody. <laughs> I can actually say um, on behalf of, of the Penobscot Nation, we'd like to see this and this and this. So, so that is great. And uh, we've actually been involved in changing uh, Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day around the state. We've had uh, a bunch of cities and towns change, and that a lot of the conversations that it sparks are a lot of the same um, kind of threads as the mascot debates. So in my work, speaking to these local um, city towns and councils and stuff, a lot of the same topics come up. So it's it's been good. A lot of changes have been made, and, and I think... It's progress. Any thoughts, Darren? Yeah, I mean, I think the um, so many, despite what I said about Skohegan, <laughs> um, I think most people want to learn and be respectful, like make connection. Mm-hmm. I don't know if most people want to be respectful. I think it is human to want to know more, to make a connection with people. Um, and to do that sincerely. And I think that's um, <clears throat> in participating in a couple of the Indigenous Peoples Day th- um, activities with Molly. And uh, I, I think there is, a, in, in general, a sincere like openness to, like, well, I haven't thought about that. Why, why should I? You know, like, yeah, Columbus probably... Hmm. Yeah, it didn't exactly discover it, right? So there's like that. Everyone sort of knows that, that there are people here. But, you know, when they've, you know, by through Columbus's own diaries, we know some very bad things, many, many bad things that he did um, in dehumanizing indigenous people. It, it speaks to a lot of the same kinds of elements of, how do we recognize and not erase? How do we make connection and not, you know, offend? Uh, all the sort of fundamental things that, in a way, if you think if you um, think of education as as much about 
um, making connections to people and building community as it is about a transfer of knowledge, um, I think there is that opening. I think the, um, the things that we have to address uh, are the investments that people don't even know that they have in erasing indigenous people. How that it's an uncomfortable thing that most people understand they're on indigenous land somehow or they're, uh, you know, have benefited from something bad that happened to people who were here before. And I think that layering of it is part of, you know, the many challenges. It's not just teaching someone history. It's like, right, it's you have to unteach something and then teach them, you know, so they have an investment in the story that we are the good guys or we 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 came to this land honestly or we did X, Y, and Z. And I think those are the challenges around that educational space, which I think um, that's where that human connection, you know, going to the communities, not just sending them a pamphlet, having a discussion, I think it can really move people. Mm-hmm. James? Well, to, um, to quote Whitney Houston, I think that uh, children are the future. You know, one thing that, um, you know, children in Maine have the benefit of is, um, you know, they're being taught in the schools about Maine Native American culture and history. And, you know, in my travels around the state, I was asked to go speak from the Civil Rights um, Club, I guess, at uh, uh, Sanford High School, which was the Redskins at the time. And they kind of sheepishly asked me, to speak of the mascot issue. And I was like, you want me to speak on the mascot? Well, we do, but we were told we can't ask you to talk about that. And so I had like one night to prepare and I I, I did this presentation called Native American Imagined and talked about imagery of Native Americans that we see every day, whether it's Calumets, bacon soda, or land of lakes, or cigar boxes, and or toys, and this is the whole host of things, and it led up to the mascot issue at the end, and I defined for them as I did on the show what a redskin was, and as I was doing that, the principal got up. I could see him walk across the room and leave the room, and uh, it got quite rowdy in there by the student body, um, and I was. As soon as I was done, I was escorted out to my car, and I was in the parking lot and driving out within minutes of finishing because uh, one student asked me uh, why I wanted them to change their mascot. And I says, I've never asked you to change your mascot. I just defined what it was. If you feel okay rallying around that imagery, that isn't my problem. That's the school's problem. But they changed. Mm-hmm. And so I think that as um, s- people get educated and they start to see these issues and, um, you know, we're well on our way to um, uh, making this right in the state of Maine. Okay. I would truly believe that. Okay, Darren, I'll give you like a minute. A minute? A minute. <laughs> Last closing statement. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I'll return to, uh, you know, where, where I started, which is, uh, you know, for me, um, I might have been uh, more ambivalent about this issue until the early 2000s. I, I think, um, 
you know, a lot of my research, as you all know in this room, is based around environmental issues, protecting traditional lifestyles, um, that sort of thing. And uh, as an educator, obviously, I, I have a sense of how mascots um, have impacted us. Um, but I think, you know, really, really zeroing in on uh, the ways in which in educational environments in particular, we have so much proof that this is it's just so harmful to children. Um, it just, and it's just completely unnecessary. You know, it's like one of those things and I'm not a big, you know, mascot person. I probably am not a fan of any team enough to know what that deep emotional tie to a particular image is. Um, but that said, I just, it it's, um, I, I think moving to an understanding of, of where this is harmful to people and being uh, seeing this as an opportunity to make connections and understanding around actual Native people. I think the the win-win-win kind of elements of all that together, I think, is, is why the sea change ha- has happened and the work of um, Molly and James and others, yourself, Donna, um, has really just made that impact because I think ultimately that is what people want. Yeah. Molly? Yeah, I would echo um, James on that. We are grateful for the schools that have made the change. And I think the overall um, network we have in the state is a good thing. You know, in this uh, political race in the state right now, our allies and uh, in partnership with the tribal voices uh, like myself and other tribal leaders have been able to keep a lot of tribal concerns in the forefront. And just like Indigenous Peoples Day and the mascot stuff and our environmental um issues and policy and stuff. I, I've been impressed with, um, in any political cl- climate, the um, impact we're able to make together. So I think um, those ally relationships are very important, as are um, the tribal voices that have been able to be heard. Okay. And I'll close with just one statement. That's the, uh, uh, in uh, Andrew Thomas' editorial, and he says, uh, if you're wondering what to do, he says, Citizens across Maine should contact local and state education board officials to ask that they promote a safe, supportive, and equal environment in Maine schools by removing the Indians' mascot. Uh, And they can write to to the uh, SAD 54 board and the State Board of Education. So with that, uh, I thank you guys for uh, coming to the show. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ambassador Molly and Dana, Dr. Darren Ranko, James Francis for being with us today. Uh, the music for our show is by Rolf Richter, a track called Little Eagles from his CD Dreamwalk. Our engineer is Amy Brown. I'm your host, Donna Loring. Tune in again next month for another Wabanaki Windows. <laughs>